0: those first days were shock and to be totally blunt about it a lot of screaming the reality of what happened honestly took years to unfold piece by piece by piece two and three years later I would go to call him or I would see something I thought was really cool that he would like and I would go to text him it's like part of your brain doesn't get the memo that your person
1: died welcome to how to I'm Charles Duhigg Right now is a really hard time. And if you're anything like me, you have friends or family members who are struggling with loss. Or or maybe you're mourning someone yourself. How we process that grief and and how we console others, those are really hard questions. Even in the best of times, it's sometimes not clear how to help other people, which is at the core of a question we got a few months ago from Anne in Arizona.
2: Well, I reached out because... um... A few weeks ago, my one of my brother in laws died. Um, I immediately talked to my dad about it, and my my sister and brother in law live out of state. And my dad was kind of telling me, you know, you should give her space, don't contact her right away. And in the past, when I've been around people who have lost family members, I've kind of felt like a deer in the headlights, and I usually don't say much. But I know when I was grieving last year, um, when people did that to me, it hurt because I felt like they didn't care.
1: And tell me a little bit about what happened last year and your experiences with grief.
2: Well, um, I mean, this isn't the only experience I've had with grief. Um, I've definitely had some other losses, but last year I had um, what was a very sudden miscarriage. I was Um, 13 weeks along. So it was very, very unexpected. Um, But it was also my third miscarriage. So it was sort of the most traumatic experience I've had in maybe my whole life. I felt very alone and isolated.
1: Yeah. Did, Did anyone reach out to you? To, to offer you condolences
2: um yeah a few people did i wrote something about it on facebook because i wanted to tell people because i was hurting a lot and some people were very sweet and you know sympathetic but other people said some things that were kind of painful like oh well i'm sure you can have another one or things like that that um yeah. weren't really helpful
1: i know how hard it is my father passed away a few years ago and I was surprised at how, how different the reaction of different people was.
2: I mean, I've been on both sides. I'm sure I've made the error of saying the wrong thing or saying nothing. Um, but I also, I think that a lot of people um, don't know how to respond. And I guess I was just looking for some guidelines.
1: We could all use some guidelines, especially right now. And so we found someone who might be able to help.
0: My name is Megan Devine. I'm a psychotherapist and a writer and a grief advocate. So I talk a lot about grief and loss and the ways that life goes sideways when you least expect it to.
1: On today's show, Megan will give us tips about how to work through our grief and how she worked through grief of her own in ways that might surprise you. More after this quick break. or wherever you listen. A little over 10 years ago, Megan Devine and Matt, her partner of five years, went for a walk near where they lived in Maine. It had been raining for weeks, and, and this was the first really nice day in a while. And as they were walking through the woods, Matt decided to go for a swim in the river.
0: And Matt was an amazing athlete he was really skilled in the water and the woods so we never worried about him um, being out in a river but the river that day was really fast Um, there was a an undercurrent that hadn't been there the millions of times we had been at the river before and Matt got stuck in the current and was carried down the river Uh, I went into the water after him to help and also got carried down the river I just happened to get spit back out on the shore and he did not
1: Megan was actually pulled two miles downstream before she could make it back to shore. It would be another three hours before search teams found Matt's body. When they did, Megan was in a state of shock.
0: Well, first horror. (laughs) I don't think that our brains can allow in the full force of something like that all at once. I think there's a protective mechanism in there. This is why people go into shock. It's the body's way of protecting the organism from the enormity of the situation.
1: But almost immediately, Megan had to start dealing with Matt's death.
0: There was a lot of stuff that needed to happen. Matt and I were picking up um, my stepson from the airport that day. He was actually coming back from a visit to his mom. um, And I had to figure out who was gonna pick him up and what they were gonna tell him. I had to go meet Matt's son and sit him down at the house and talk him through how his dad died. There were funeral arrangements to be made. There were in-laws to be called. For me, um, shifting into tactical mode was the way that I survived for the first couple of weeks.
1: One thing that made her days harder were what some people were saying to try and comfort her. Everyone meant well, but sometimes what they said was the opposite of what she needed to hear.
0: I realize that what we say to people when they're in pain isn't necessarily helpful. I heard so much stuff from friends, from family members, from a fellow therapists, just around resilience, mm-hmm. around bouncing back, around um, not letting his sudden death quote unquote wreck my life.
2: How did that make you feel? Oh, it it
0: made me feel like nobody understood me,
2: Mm -hmm. right? Like they're minimizing you, right?
0: Exactly. When people would say, you're so strong and you're so smart, you're going to find a way to get through this. The way that felt for me was, don't feel the way that you feel. Stop letting this upset you. I actually overheard people in coffee shops say, she must not have been a very good therapist if something like this upsets her. (sighs) Wow, that's
2: terrible. Whoa.
0: Isn't it? I think, you know, we, we just really believe that our job is to cheer somebody up. So I was on the receiving end of a whole lot of cheering up.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it, it does have that effect of making you feel invisible and misunderstood. And for me, at a time when I already felt like a freak, when I felt like nobody understood me and nobody had been where I was, it made me feel even more isolated because nobody could really just acknowledge the sheer amount of pain that I was in and the shock.
1: And let me ask you about your brother-in-law. You said that he passed away. How long ago?
2: Um, it was about three weeks ago. He died in his sleep. He had sleep apnea and he, um, he got like the flu and, um, it just you know it just made his sleep apnea worse and i think he wasn't being treated for the sleep apnea that's my understanding so um he just woke up uh, well he sort of was gasping and gagging for air um and it woke my sister up but she wasn't able to save him i think she tried to do cpr um you know and it just it was too late
1: Oh. That's enormously sad. Yeah are are you cl- are you close to your sister?
2: Not really. She's um, much younger. We have different moms, so. Okay. Um, but you know, of course, I just it it just hurts thinking of the pain that she's going through, and you know what a loss to have to deal with suddenly that you know the person that you're probably closest to in the world. And she had a very, very good marriage.
1: And have you reached out to her since then?
2: Oh, yeah. A few times. I mean, I I called her right away, left her voicemail because, you know, understandably she wasn't picking up because it was the first day. Um, and then mostly I've just texted her since then because I didn't want to, like you said before, overstep my bounds.
1: Were you conflicted at all in, in what you were like? Did you feel like you, you knew what? to say to her in those texts or or were you uncertain at all
2: oh yeah i mean definitely i I, every time i text her i just feel like you know am i gonna (laughs) am i gonna annoy her especially because when i was talking to our dad today he was telling me that she's feeling tired of people at work asking her about you know the circumstances with her husband's death
1: this is one of the big problems that all of us face when we're trying to console a friend. Knowing what to say and what not to say when someone has just experienced a sudden loss, that can be really hard and awkward.
0: Well, the whole thing is awkward. Yeah. Right? Honestly, I think all of us would relax a lot more around grief if we just let it be awkward.
2: Hmm.
0: I think a lot of the time we 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 try to... Um, be confident or pretend that we're confident or pretend we know what we're doing, it it makes such a big difference if we can just say, like, I feel really awkward about this, but I'm showing up anyway.
1: Megan says the person who helped her the most during this initial phase of her grief was a friend with a chronic illness.
0: They'd been on the receiving end of a lot of cheer up, you got this, eat your broccoli sort of <laughs> approach to, to how we take care of each other. So she knew. And she was able to just acknowledge the horror of the situation. And that acknowledgement um, was, was magic to me.
1: What did she say to you?
0: Uh, she, she said things like, this, this is too much to take in all at once. I need you to drink water and eat whatever you can eat. And she just let me say whatever I needed to say as many times as I needed to say it and just reflected it back to me. How do we support you while your life falls apart?
1: What do you think people should do when they're in in a position where they they say, "I I can't even imagine the pain you're going through?
0: If my friend had come to me and said, take care of yourself, I've lived this, I know what to do, that would have been a very different thing Than her saying, have you eaten? Have you had water today? We need to help your body withstand this. That is a subtle difference. Can you hear the difference between the two? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: The first way saying, I've been through this. I know what to do. You need to take care of yourself is giving advice. It sounds presumptuous. It is super presumptuous. Again, well-intentioned, but presumptuous. It is thinking you know what the other person needs. So when you have your own personal experience, it is really tempting to jump in and you can make them feel like, okay, well, your experience with your mom was completely different than mine, but I guess we're talking about you now, right? Yeah. So there's sort of a hijacking of a, of a grief support conversation that can happen. So you might say something like, uh, I lost my mom three years ago. Obviously, it's completely different. If you have questions or you want to know what it was like for me, I'm totally happy to talk with you about that. You just let me know.
1: This is our first rule for comforting someone dealing with loss. You want to extend an invitation, but don't break down the door and force your advice on someone who isn't asking for it.
0: And that's also a way to let somebody feel some control over what's happening. Right? For many people, especially with a sudden or unexpected death, but honestly, even in a death you have seen coming, there can be a, a sense of a loss of control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when we ask and offer, instead of jumping in with our advice, we let that person choose whether that would feel helpful or not.
1: Coming up, Megan will tell us why she believes the five classic stages of grief no longer make any sense and what we ought to focus on instead. We'll be right back.
3: This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure.
1: In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com podcast or find it wherever you listen. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at applecard.com. We're back with Anne and our grief expert, Megan Devine. And one thing I've been thinking about over the last few years is, how do we express grief in an age of social media? Like when an old high school classmate says they've lost a loved one, or, or a friend of a friend posts bad news on Facebook, what's the proper etiquette for sharing condolences? or or should we just not say anything at all?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, there there can be that sort of drive-by compassion. I put my I put my sad face emoji on this person's post and now now I'm done. <laughs> but I I think, you know, thinking back to something Anne said about how we have this sort of temptation to not say anything at all because we're afraid to say the wrong thing. To say too much, to say too little, so we don't say anything, and that is really far more hurtful than anything mm-hmm. else.
1: Let me ask you, Anne, because because you yeah. you mentioned that after after your miscarriage that you posted something on Facebook,
2: mm-hmm.
1: in part because because you weren't hearing from your friends.
2: Mm. Well, <laughs> it's interesting. I feel like um, there's definitely pros and cons because on one hand, I'll get a slew of helpful. Um, empathetic people reaching out that will just say that's so sad i'm so sorry and that feels good because i feel a lot less lonely and and it feels like people are acknowledging my pain but on the other hand there's a lot of people that will give those platitudes that megan was talking about that hurt that are (laughs) they're not helpful but when it came to the miscarriage it just felt so good to let it out in the open, to say, you know what, I know I'm going to get some people that are going to judge me, but but I just need to tell the world that I've been through something traumatic and, and I'm in pain. So I, I feel like, um, on the whole, it's better.
1: This is the next rule. When in doubt, say something. It doesn't have to be anything long or profound. But when people signal that they're in pain, sometimes the best thing we can do is just to say, I hear you, and I'm really sorry that you're hurting. But according to Megan, there's one thing we should not say, and that's, let me know how I can help.
0: Let me know is something that people say all the time, and I, I want to take that apart for a second, <laughs> why that's not helpful. If your life just went sideways, like let's, let's use my example that I was talking about previously when Matt died. I had his stepson to tell about what happened, to be there for him. I had my in-laws. I had my family. I had funeral arrangements to make. I had, you know, my own what the hell just happened going on. All of those things. So when somebody would show up and say, let me know if you need anything, when was I going to have time to do that? If we think about like how often in normal daily life, you get stressed out and you feel like you could use a hand, how often do you actually ask somebody for help?
1: Yeah, Not very
0: often. <laughs> we are a culture of people who don't tend to ask for help, especially when we're really struggling.
1: So what's a better way to do that? Because you don't want to
0: force it yeah. on someone. You right. don't. So being concrete instead of vague is the answer to this particular problem. So instead of saying, let me know if you need anything, think about the things that you could offer and also think about what that other person might need.
1: Here's another rule. Instead of asking people to let you know what they need, anticipate what that is and and act on it. Find something that you know will be helpful to them and then volunteer to do it.
0: So if you know that the kids need to get to soccer practice and mom just lost her husband, you could, in a text message or in a voicemail, Um, say, I know that the kids have to get back and forth to soccer practice. I am very happy to um, drive them, pick them up and bring them home Mondays, Wednesdays, and Friday. Would that be helpful for you? Concrete, tangible offers that the person can either ignore or say yes or say no.
1: Do you remember after Matt passed, do do any specific offers stand out in your, your mind that your friends made?
0: Oh my gosh, people were so good. I had um, an old friend of mine uh, is a Unitarian minister, and she took over calling all of the funeral homes to find out the whole process of cremation and what we needed to do and what paperwork we needed. I didn't have it in me to make all of those phone calls. And I had one friend who is an excellent cook and she delivered food every single day and she didn't call me up every morning and say, what do you feel like today? She made something, she dropped it off at the front door. I could come out and get it if I wanted to.
1: And let me ask you, mm-hmm. let, let's try and workshop this a little bit.
2: Okay. If yeah. you
1: were to if you were to write an email to your sister, drawing on what Megan was talking about, what what occurs to you?
2: It sounds like um I should just be honest about the fact that I'm feeling awkward because I would like to help but I don't necessarily know what she needs or what the best help is, um, and I would certainly tell her that I am happy to hear her just talk and and just be there for her, just be a physical presence um, for her if she needs to vent or get something off her chest, um, and then give her some concrete offers of what I could do to help, and and let her decide whether or not you know she wants any of that help or or just back off if she doesn't. I think that's lovely.
0: And I love that idea of offering her some concrete things. I'm happy to set up meal delivery for you. I can do that from a distance if that would feel helpful. I'm happy to research, spend some time online and look for resources to help you with the kids if that would feel useful. I am also really happy to just to pick up the phone and listen to you rant about whatever you wanna rant without trying to cheer you up or make it different and not try to fix them.
1: This is the next rule. When you feel the urge to help someone who's coping with a loss, don't try to fix everything. Instead, stop and ask the person, do you need a solution right now? Or do you just need to be heard?
2: I definitely agree because the people who I I remember talking to that I felt like were most helpful, they just listened And the most they would say is, wow, that hurts, you know? Uh, And they didn't try to fix it, because you can't fix it when somebody dies, you just can't. I mean, you can't really fix other people's problems anyway, but (laughs) but especially a death. I mean, what's there to fix?
1: And this brings us to another big topic. You've probably heard of the five stages of grief, which is this model for how people deal with loss. But Megan thinks the model's been misunderstood.
0: The stages of grief model is is really problematic. Um, you know, Dr. Ross created those stages uh, almost 50 years ago now as a way to help dying people understand what they might be feeling when they receive their terminal diagnosis. She never meant them to be used for grief. And it wasn't even you are going to feel these things in this order. It was here are some things you might experience and we want you to know you're normal if you're feeling them. That's news to a lot of people who have learned either through grad school or pop culture or through movies that everybody who is grieving needs to go through these five stages of grief and you need to go through them in order. Otherwise, you're doing it wrong.
2: Mm -hmm. And, And I think the other thing is grief, always it comes back it's like a it's like an ocean wave i've heard that analogy where you know it goes out for a while and then it comes back especially because you have those milestones Absolutely. birthdays holidays
0: and so the the thing here is that grief is not something separate from love it's part of love so this idea that grief is something that you do correctly and it's over that's a lie yeah matt's son If he chooses to get married, if he chooses to have children, the milestones he hits in his life, his dad won't be there. There is never going to be a time when that doesn't suck. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that he hasn't, quote unquote, done his grief work. That doesn't mean that he's in denial or that I'm in denial if 10 years later, I still go to text him when I see something neat. Right. That's love. And that's the way it works.
2: Yeah, that's a good way to put it.
0: It's never going to be okay that he's dead. And I have a really beautiful life. I have a really beautiful career where I get to help a lot of people. I only have this specific career because he drowned. Yeah. That's never going to not be weird.
1: You know, we're um we're recording this obviously in the the beginning of this this coronavirus outbreak. And it's likely that over the next couple of months, we're going to see on social media and in the news and in phone calls with friends, potentially people we know and love getting sick or, or friends of friends getting sick, people dying, hopefully not, not close to us. But do you think we should go and try and console them? Or should we respect mm-hmm. their their private space and let them have this mm-hmm. moment of grief?
0: I think I would always go with acknowledge without invading. I, I keep having this memory come back in my head. In the, the days after Matt died, I had gone to the coffee shop and I was telling a friend, probably about what actually happened that day. Um, a close person or somebody in that moment, I just decided needed to hear the whole story. That person left after hearing it. Um, And the person who was sitting the next table over, came over, crouched down by the table next to me, put their hand on the table, not on me, and said, I I just want to let you know that I'm sitting right next to you. And I overheard that story and I can't not say something. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I, I hope things feel a little bit more gentle to you today or something like that. Just something really sweet and kind. And it was beautiful.
1: How did that make you feel
0: loved honestly right they didn't invade my boundaries they didn't put their arm around me like who's this weirdo (laughs) putting their arm around me they didn't press for details they overheard a conversation that they were not invited to but it was also a very human moment that they didn't feel like they could ignore so they made a really beautiful gesture and this is a crazy unprecedented unpredictable chaotic time with a lot of people scared and a lot of people in pain and yes a lot of people um will be grieving and we want to be really brave about opening conversations in areas that are usually pretty scary
1: and this is our final rule when all else fails find some human moment just to share it doesn't matter if we know someone well or, or even if they're a stranger. We can help by letting them know that we're here, we're available to them. You know, and I—I will say, when my um, when my father passed away, um, the responses kind of ran the gamut, as as they did for both of you. But, but this one editor who lives down the street from me, she wrote this handwritten card. And she left it at my house, and it just said, "I heard that this happened, and I'm so sorry." And I can't even really remember what it said, but I just remember getting it, and that for that moment it helped.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, Anne, I, I think you can make a big. I think you will be a big, a big support to your sister.
2: Thank you. I. I mean, I. I feel very encouraged. I feel like just being able to do this podcast with you guys has been really helpful, and I love all the ideas that I've heard, and I, it's like you're already helping me process my grief, too. <laughs> so, thank you. That's so nice of you guys. You are so welcome.
1: Thank you to Anne for sharing her grief with us, and to Megan Devine for her wonderful advice. Make sure to look for her book It's Okay That You're Not Okay meeting grief and loss in a culture that doesn't understand. Also, if you're grieving the loss of a loved one, there's a lot more resources at Megan's website, refugeingrief.com. We'll link to it in our show notes. And as a quick update, the last time we checked in with Anne, she wrote us an email saying that she had fallen ill with COVID-19. Here's what she wrote. Before I got sick, I sent my sister a card. In it, I told her almost verbatim what Megan recommended. I've also texted her a couple times, and and I try to follow Megan's advice, letting my sister know that she can vent and that I'll just listen. And then she added, Unfortunately, two days after we spoke, one of my aunts also died. So now I've been putting her these recommendations to work when I reach out to my cousin. It was Providence that we recorded the podcast when we did. Thankfully, today Anne is feeling better. Do you have a problem that needs solving? Send us a note at howtoitslate.com and we might be able to help. That's slate.com. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rachel Allen is our production assistant and Merit Jacob is our engineer. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown. June Thomas is the senior managing producer of Slate Podcasts and Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director for audio. Special thanks to Asha Salucha and Sung Park. I'm Charles Duhigg. Thanks for listening.